Hitbox KO um, Hello everyone It's Jamie and Niall this time So Who would have guessed? This is a brand new podcast It's called Hitbox And it's a podcast where we exist in boxes Talking about hits um, And uh, uh, Niall, or, or, or shall I refer to you with your online uh, alias? Or what we're we, we feeling here? What? 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 Big Nav? <laughs> nah, we, we, we can just stick to Niall. I don't think uh, the, the potential listeners don't want to hear about the exploits of Big Nav, whatever that happens to be. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Niall, um, who are you? What, what are you doing here? Ooh, I am uh, I'm one of the dedicated openly beta sandbox fanboys, you know, there from the beginning. Uh, if you ever see the comments, you'll probably see a, a shout-out from Big Naz. Got a shout-out a few weeks back as well with pleasant surprise making my day. So, but no, I know the... Sorry? I'll say I know the openly beta boys from, what, seven years back now? It's been... It's been a while. No, I, I, I like a good. Be. Yeah, from back from the Colchester Sixth Form College days, and uh, yeah, so I've got a, a nice little mix of hits today that should be a lot of fun to go through. It's good. It's good. Oh, that's that. That is a very scary time period. I don't oh, like it. I forcibly dragged you down memory lane right there. So, um, basically. Uh, people who are watching, if you are on our um, $1,000 a day Patreon, um, like Niall, you you too will be able to uh, appear in a, an episode of Hitbox. Um, it, it, it's one of our lesser tiers, but um, affordable, you know? Um, so we're going to start off with a quick game. Um, this is a very unoriginal game, uh, but I love the concept of this. Uh, it's called Pokedex Entry or Real Animal. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to go through a little selection of um, uh, disc- or Pokedex entries, and you have to tell me uh, if I've just read out a an actual animal that exists on Earth, or if it's um, actually found within a game, a Pokemon. Um, we're going to start off with an example. Um, so the first one I'm going to read out to you. It is said to live in a gap in the spatial dimension parallel to ours. It appears in mythology. Niall, is that a Pokemon? Is that is that Giratina? No. Oh, so close. Shows I know so nothing. So close. I know nothing. So close. Unknown. It's Palkia. Ah. Oh. Um. Bon- yeah. Oh, bonus point if you can get the uh, if you can get the Pokemon or real animal. By the way. Mm. Um, so that's an example. So um, I'll give you another one now. Okay. I I I've been reading through these. Um, I made these I made these earlier, um, and I'm I'm a little bit concerned that some of them are a little bit too difficult. But we'll see how it goes. So um, it's covered in a slime that keeps its skin moist, allowing it to stay on land for days without drying up. I'm going to say real animal on that. That's a Pokemon. 
That is puking Muku. Oh, it's going so well. It's going so well already. I think that one was a little bit difficult because it does sound very, very feasible. See, I'm sticking to the principle that the more horrifying the entry, the more likely it is that it's a Pokemon. So that seemed way too factual for for me to think that, that it was going to be one. So but, true. but we continue nonetheless. Um, <laughs> it performs an unusual headstand to draw in water from its surroundings, leaving itself vulnerable to attacks. I'm just going to go regular animal again. I'm, I'm, why not? Let's go regular animal again. That, that is a regular animal. What animal do you think that is? Uh, actually, no clue, unfortunately. I, I have not been watching my David Attenborough these days. And a, it really shows. It's a fog basking beetle, which I feel like I've only ever heard of that on David Attenborough. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not like they're putting that in the GCSE geography curriculum right there. It's extra like, oh, how, how come you don't know that? Extra points, oh. extra points. Well, you have to go a little bit obscure because if you go like, you know, house cat, there's not a lot of interesting mm. things that you can really talk about a house cat and think it sounds like a Pokemon. All right, next one. It will investigate and may carry anything it finds away, leading to many losing items that are left unattended. I'm going to go Pokemon. It's a real animal. Uh, It's a a coconut crab. (laughs) I I don't know what coconut crab is. It's a coconut crab. Uh, Mention crabs, all I can think of is that, like, the the dancing crab reference at that point. (laughs) Oh, well. It sprays toxic gas from its mouth and fingers. If the gas engulfs you, the toxins will seep in all the way down to your bones. Well, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> and based on the logic that I've already decided, I'm going to go Pokemon. It just Pokemon. seems terrifying. <laughs> it's actually a Pokemon. Because it has fingers, so it can't be, you know, coughing or wheezing, which would have been my my traditional go-tos in this regards so think of like I don't know. the most disgusting pokemon that exists like muck i guess that is pretty gross uh it's actually uh garbador or, or trabador oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah the the one that was literal rubbish can we just almost have... as good as the keychain pokemon oh yeah klefki um can we just uh, appreciate uh that's really disturbing. <laughs> like, yeah. imagine, imagine like going against a real per- like a trainer. Like, all right, let's have a quick battle. Mm. Someone freaking brings out Garbodor. Like, nah, I'm <laughs> have my money. I'm off. <laughs> imagine how terrifying it'd be if you if you lived in that world. It's like it's bin day. You're just dropping off your bins at the end of the street. Pick up the wrong one by accident. It's actually a living thing, and now you've got poison in your bones. Just. Okay, it's just got a got a couple more now. Um, its sharp horn on its nose is often lost in battle. If this happens, another is made in its internal pouch. Is that Kangaskhan? It's not actually. Uh, that is an animal. That is a ribbon worm. <sighs> 
it's like Kangaskhan has two horns, I think. It doesn't have one yeah. on its nose, because I was inclined to go with, like, Vidon, but I'm like, Vidon doesn't have a pouch, so it's, I'm getting zero marks in here. I could flip a coin in each one and probably get a better, better outcome here. I, this is really I'm, not looking good on my end. The last one I'm just going to not do, and the reason for that is because it's just too hard. <laughs> I've realised I've realized that this one is way too generic. I can try it if you want. I might as well. It's the last one. Go for it. Go for it. I, I, I can't get any worse at, at this stage. Like, <laughs> low school already. It eats berries non-stop. A habit that it has made, uh, sorry, that has made it more resilient than it looks. It will show up on farms, searching for yet more berries. Is it that Pokemon that has, like, the hand on its tail? It's not actually. The purple one? I forgot what it's called. Apom. Uh, yeah, Apom. I was going to go with that, but... Is it, it a real-life it, one, Pokemon. It's Pokemon. Uh, it's it's Squovit. Which is a, a squirrel Pokemon. Oh, is that the one that ends up having like the life preserver around it at the end? Or is that a complete... See, the problem with me is I I played up to Generation 4 and skipped 5, 6, and 7, I think. Okay, okay. So there's, like a okay. Big, there's a big gap between a lot of these. Oh, no, in fairness. hasn't worked to my benefit. I, I, will, I will say that I know every Pokemon from Gen 4 and backwards. I have played every yeah. Gen, but like, you know, I was a, I was a, like a, an actual child on Gen 4 and you get way more into like all the names and stuff and the, the older I got, the less mm. I cared about the names, mainly because I kept calling them like nicknames and stuff so you just don't remember them. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, piece of poo anyway uh that was a uh, poker date century that poor that 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 one's i was gonna say that was definitely the hm slave of the team yeah. just like doesn't even get a proper name he just gets treated like garbage it's like i i literally i called my hm doof. slaves like one two three it's all bidoof yeah oh it's just put some respect on bidoof's name right there okay so how dare you disrespect him like that the next section of Hitbox, uh, we want to. I want to know about your childhood, specifically, okay, video games. <laughs> um, well, it's a good good thing that video games were a big part of my childhood. So, Happy coincidence. So, um, I asked Niall earlier um, uh, to name, you know, roughly a top five of his childhood games and i want to i want to go through them you probably don't have them in a rank order though right because that'll be quite hard I, yeah the these are these are not ranked yeah They're, there's quite a, a jumbled mix i'm i more wanted them to represent different experiences that they coalesce with mm-hmm. in a weird way I'll, I'll explain it with one of them how how they all seem to fulfill a distinct role when it comes to your memories of video games as a child Give us your first it's a, one. It's a we- so, okay, I am going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Spider-Man PlayStation 1 from Spider- the year 2000. Made by Neversoft. People who made Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, I believe. It was made in the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater engine. Really? And, uh, Interesting. Yeah. 
and it, it fulfilled two two great things. One, it's the greatest comic book game ever made, purely for the fact that it includes the, the greatest comic book character ever mm-hmm. made. And you say, well, it's Spider-Man because it's called Spider-Man. But no, there's a has such a long list of alternative costumes in the game. And one of them is from a story where Spider-Man enters the Fantastic Four. He hasn't been announced yet, and he loses his suit. So he wears the traditional blue Fantastic Four suit, but he can't wear the Spider-Man mask, so he puts a bag over his head. And in the process, births the greatest hero of all time, the bombastic Bagman, which is uh, the best one that's in that game. You have to play as bombastic Bagman. All right, I'm immediately then, giggling that. Oh, mate, the classic bombastic Bagman. It just rolls off the tongue. That is so just, funny. There's so many costumes in that game, and they're all... Some of them are real, like, deep dives where, like, Spider-Man gets, like, cosmic powers is one of the costumes that he has. Oh, There's wow. There's a real weird collection of bunch from this, this 2000 game. And they made a sequel in late 2001, something like Spider-Man Enter Electron. But it was one of, at that point, because, you know, as a child, you don't really follow the news, especially considering that at this time, it came out in 2000, but I was probably playing it 2001, 2002. Like, I'm five years old playing this. I barely know what I'm doing. I am mashing the controller, just praying that something will work. But That's... it's that. And also, I will argue to the ends of the earth that Spider-Man PlayStation 1 is the single greatest survival horror game of all time. I'm going to need... Right. Resident... Talk to me. Why? Okay, so you get to the... So Venom's a little bit creepy in that game. He hits you with that classic, like, Warriors come out and play, like, bottle Jing that comes from that movie. And he's he's creepy enough because he's, like, teleporting around. He's being all sneaky. But at the end of the game, you go to... You find out the Dr. Octopus and Carnage are trying to take over the world with an army of symbiotes. And you beat Carnage, you beat Doc Ock, and it goes to a cutscene. You're like, "Oh, you think this is fine?" You know, you, you know his his exact words is like, "It's all fine now, Spider. You can take a breather. It's all good." And then Carnage merges with Doctor Octopus and creates uh, Monster Oc. No, and Monster Oc has the most horrifying sound effects that have ever been put into a video game, where it just keeps yelling, "Die, die." over again in distorted like sounds and oh. in the, and it begins this chase sequence where you have to run away from him but the problem is it's playstation one and camera controls for everything that's in 3d outside of like mario 64 is absolutely garbage so you're fighting the game trying to get away from this terrifying thing and keep in mind if it captures you <laughs> the game instantly game over and you get stabbed to pieces. This is a game rated E for everyone, but those like dark, dark arms just stab your body repeatedly. It is a terrifying experience. That is. And you spend the entire, and it's the scariest two and a half minutes of video games I think I've ever played. And I played it at the right kind of age where it impacts you a bit more. So mm. I, I think the scariest movie of all time is the 1990s adaption of uh, Roald Dolls, The Witches, where they like they peel back and they turn into these like monst- yeah. like monstrosities. And I remember watching that as a kid and just being horrified wow. by that movie. 
it's interesting, and in the same it? way stuff like yeah. that um that freaks you out as a kid it it really it still kind of freaks you out like you kind of still have that, that experience locked in your brain of i remember how terrifying that was and the visual experience of spider-man ps1 has obviously declined quite a bit not many games at that time hold up especially when in that yeah. early stage of transitioning to 3d but the audio yeah. those audio sounds man are still you could play them in the middle of nowhere and i'd be on alert and i'll be fight or flight just terrifying i do i do think i mean yeah i i agree that i think playstation one games that era uh they are that is the generation that has held up the least you're i am not i'm mm. not interested in seeing retro throwbacks to that art style in any way <laughs> like i mean is... i don't think anybody did because you look at like the nes classic everyone's hyped everyone buys it yeah snes classic everyone buys it like ps1 is like within two months so i can get one for 20 quid and it's like nobody has any interest in playing these games unfortunately but there's some good games on there but well so i'm looking just at pictures of uh, monster rock and uh yeah the the one thing that that art style does lend well to is just terrifying creatures because i feel like the, the 3d models of that time were kind of even if they weren't supposed to be horrifying, they looked horrifying. So when you've got something yeah. that, like um, like Nemesis, I think looks yeah. really creepy. Uh, it's just like, you know, a load of <laughs> cubes and triangle it's pieces. A and, but it's, it's a blur, like a yellowish head. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of freaky, yeah. But I think the thing, it's, I think it's similar with Nemesis and Monstruck, how it's like the sound effects that you were, like you hear the stars, stars, and you're like maybe it's time to get out of here and you hear I die and you're like I need to run away this this very second this thing is terrifying but no a fantastic little game and it's one of those things where even now when Spider-Man 2018 came out we all played that and that was all fantastic there's still a bit of me that holds so much nostalgia to the original one being able to see like look what we've come from from that kind of first attempt into mm. the 3D to like now where it's just these ridiculous sort of worlds and like I remember the other one where you had a couple of buildings and the rest of it was just fog like that was the entire I, world I, view I think I can't actually remember I've never owned a Spider-Man game but I I did play around a friend's house and it was either the play, PlayStation 2 I think it was probably the PlayStation a, a a yeah. Spider-Man game on PlayStation 2, I can't remember which one. And I remember, like you said, it's it was so it felt so fun, you know, with the, you know, hilarious web slinging on nothing, you know, all the time. Sort of yeah. Thing. Um, just practically flying. But it is yeah, fog. I, I remember the fog. Yeah. Just everywhere. Yeah. I think it, it kind of works in a way because it makes it quite atmospheric where I was it like some of the few early Silent Hills, like the fog's part of the story, but they also use the fog to hide any kind of issues when it comes to draw distance. It's like, we'll just make fog. Now everyone will believe that. There's no, the level is this tiny square, but if we put fog around it, everything will be absolutely fine. And the fog's still like used in games. It's, I think only really recently fog has stopped being used, to be honest. Like, even PlayStation 3 games had loads of fog in it to hide stuff. Uh, that's really funny. 
I mean, I haven't got anything against fog. If I if I see a fog in in game, I'll be like, you know what? I appreciate that they're putting that little touch. You know, I mean, I'd prefer fog than like just black. <laughs> that or just like a superimposed two D image that's just been put in to look like a background. You just can't see behind an invisible wall. Classic. Right. Give me another. Give me another top top childhood game. Uh, we're going backwards. We're still. We're going back to the nineteen nineties. Feel old. Going to a sled storm, which is a nineteen ninety. There was a sequel for PlayStation Two. But I'm talking about the PlayStation One version, okay. and it was a snowmobile racing game with a soundtrack that was done by Rob Zombie, who is this really like edgy new metal like singer or act, and it was just an absolute blast. And it was one of those ones where I would sit around and play my older brother and we'd, we'd play that game and try to beat our, our high scores on it. And I don't know why we ever got it because at that age, <laughs> any games you play, um, especially at the age I got it, it you never bought a game out of your own volition. It was just, this is what your family thought you would like and this yeah. is what you've got at yeah. a Christmas gift. Yeah. And ended up with Sledstorm. Sledstorm, absolutely cracking game hey i'm, I'm watching a video right shortcuts. now the, the, this is a like a surprisingly good looking uh playstation one game like, the animations are actually pretty good yeah because the uh races also for some reason it's a snowmobile game but it the all the snowmobiles are just called sleds <laughs> i don't know i'm not an expert on snowmobiles if that's the right kind of use of the term but they'll pop it they'll go into the corners and you'll see the the models for the races proper shift with the weight so they actually felt hefty it didn't feel like yeah these were just models floating on top of like artificial snow that you get with a lot of games this, and this, yeah for 1999 pretty nice honestly yeah wow oh, blew my mind sledstorm playstation one i think i have less ability to associate that with anything greater more just that's a distinct game that i remember growing up because i wanted to go with a couple of outside the box options mm. and that's what actually takes me to my third pick so i think it's a universal experience right i, I so essentially what well, the nintendo ds came out 2005 2000 maybe a little bit later but it got to the point where by the late 2000s came out 2004 Nintendo 2004 yeah that's fine because it, it got to the point where it seemingly everybody had one like mm-hmm. not everyone had one at launch I didn't have one until like 2008 because yep. Game Boy Advance SP close to my heart oh yeah same yeah but oh, the good stuff but it was one of those experiences where one of them was about how in the school environment you would have a game that everyone would all play at the same time so the easy option to invoke with that is playing Mario Kart DS yeah. on school trips on the bus. Awesome. Because Nintendo's fantastic, I think it was just called wireless player, something like that, uh, where down, only one play? game cartridge was download needed. Play. Yeah, download play. One cartridge was needed and you would have four, five, six, I don't exactly remember, but you would have everybody all playing each other on a school bus. And where we were situated, like geographically in the UK, it meant a lot of times if we ever went to France on like a French school trip, 
you would drive to Dover, get the ferry across, and you could all do it in a day. It meant you had a lot of time on the bus. There would routinely be four, five-hour-long bus journeys. And Mario Kart DS on the bus was a classic. But I wanted to go a slightly different route because I think a different game can give you that experience, but with a little bit of added extra, which is just the surprise factor. And local multiplayer on one Game Boy Advance or Game Boy Advance SP with Advance Wars 1. All players on Advance Wars where you would make your turn, you'd do your moves, and you would just pass that Game Boy Advance SP onto the next person. And 10, 12 minutes later, everyone's done their turns. Everybody's had their thing. And everyone, like at this point, I'm like seven or eight years old, and we're, we're all acting like we're Sun Tzu on the playgrounds, but no one really knows what we're doing. Nobody's got any <laughs> real strategy. But you get it back to you, and you think you were going to conquer this map, and you come back and you have one unit left <laughs> yeah. that everybody else has just decided to leave you with to be nice. And, and if you play it like with the group of friends I had where it was really secretive, so you don't know who had actually done what. You don't know who had really betrayed you. All you know is you're the only one with like one unit left and everybody else is that coming is along so really funny. strong. And it's the same kind of thing as Mario Kart where you could just enclosed and vibrant with a few people. You could all, you're all playing it once. It's a continuous action, but it's the surprise element where you just don't know what's going to happen. I want to add, I want to add uh, to this um, uh, new Super Mario Brothers DS had the most like super awesome uh local multiplayer completely free for everyone else as well like exactly like Mario Kart like a whole load of mini games and stuff and that same thing like get, always on a bus every everyone's on a bloody DS and everyone can play a mini game on New Super Mario Bros DS so oh, awesome you're tr- you're trying to sleep and all you hear is like the dun 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 and it's like just, bro yeah. like t- you, you don't need the audio so one you just brought back so much that is so oh, true that is such a good oh yeah i think that's totally. distinctly like i think that was probably a worldwide phenomenon but yeah. we were there at the right kind of time for download play and you know you look at it and like yeah. the nintendo ds was like still quite a premium system when it launched but Three or four years later, you know, they got the cost down. Assumingly, every, like, I, you know, not everybody had a DS, but it felt like everybody had a Nintendo DS. Honestly. And everywhere. Everyone. non. There were so many, you know, traditionally, like, you know, people who wouldn't consider themselves gamers. Mm. They had DS and they had probably got, they probably had all the classics on it as well. Like they, you know, Mar- Mar- you know Mario Kart and uh, Super Mario Bros. at a minimum. Everyone seemed to have those games. Mm. So good. That, that's that's what's mad about the ability of Nintendo just to cross those kind of divides and sell to the casual market. Because yeah. seemingly, like, you tell me I have extra homework at the end of a day when I'm eight years old and I am storming off in a fit. But you tell me, go spend half an hour on Dr. Kawashima's brain training. <laughs> and I am on that. Yep. Straight away. Hey, um, so that that's yeah, all funny. Picto chat, Picto chat was genius. Like that oh. wouldn't, just that that wouldn't work now, um, for multiple reasons. I mean, who who needs it with phones anyway, right? But yeah. also, yeah, there'd probably be some sort of like security thing and whatever. But yeah. At the time, it was like it seemed so. 
maybe we were all naive and kids, but like it seems so humble and lovely. And you go on Pixar chat, yeah. and it's like who you know fond memories who is at, at an airport. Like you go, who like, go to this... an airport. Yeah, who, I was I was gonna say say who is on this plane thirty thousand yeah. feet in the air checking their Pixar chat. Yeah, and, and there's always. There's always something. Oh. You, you, you go to a public place. Like, yeah. And, and they had that with the 3DS with Street Pass. Genius idea. Mm. Absolutely genius. Loved it. Of course, with the 3DS, uh, it took a long time before that really mm. took off. Uh, but, yeah. I, I've got a choice between... Because I've kind of lost the ranking system at this point. Whatever. So I want to go... I, I've, I've, I've been here for however many minutes and I've already broken the format. Just quick in out. Uh, I'm going to go for another PlayStation 1 classic. You know, really enough, all my games are either Game Boy Advance or PlayStation 1 mm-hmm. when it comes to the childhood ones. I think those were just my systems. But I'm going to go Yu-Gi-Oh! Forbidden Memories for the PlayStation 1. Set in ancient Egypt. It had all the character designs from Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters, the original series. But... It was just this really random environment where, like, the grandpa was like this priest. And... What? Okay, I need yeah, to... he was like, the... yeah, he he was just like a shaman priest type figure in that game. Fantastic. Because Yu-Gi-Oh had a weird habit in the early two thousands of taking the designs that everybody knew, but sticking them in really random, non-canonical environments. So two thousand, like the PlayStation Two Yu-Gi-Oh War of the Roses that was set in the UK and it was a retelling of the War of the Voices but with Yu-Gi-Oh characters because somebody at Konami thought that would be a good idea uh, it's a really it's a really weird one if people remember that but I'm, I'm looking I'm going, at, I'm going before that so we, we've got there's like a huge roster of characters here um, mm. you've got you've got like Bandit Keith who who plays machine cards in ancient Egypt like, what's that all about yeah mate 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 what you need to understand is that the cards predate the invention of such technology. Yeah. The card, like the monsters, exist before that. So, if anything, technology is based off Yu-Gi-Oh cards in that world, not the other way around. What, what do we do about the um, the the Roid cards, or like the cars and the helicopter cards? Like, there's loads of those. <laughs> they don't. They don't exist like, yet. At that ambulance point. Roid. They don't exist at that. <laughs> All we've got, all we've got, is the classics and like twin-headed thunder dragon in every single deck in that game. Anyway, you look, this twin-headed thunder dragon. So uh, was that yeah, card, that was a was classic. That, was that a card game then? It wasn't like a spin-off. It was like actual cards then. No, it was a full-blown. It was a full-blown card game. Like the entire gameplay experience was walk to this place, get this funky Egyptian-themed tune in the background, mm-hmm. have this like just mash A to get through this conversation to tell the plot. And then you just play the card game. But it was one of those things where it was one of the first ones to render the cards in 3D. So you're like, oh, wow, look at this monster in this big, like, 3D environment doing its move and all that kind of stuff. It was a a throwback classic to the PlayStation 1. And it beat the other kind of early 2000s anime-inspired, like, four kids kind of ps1 game where i had uh beyblade let it rip for the playstation one that is now universally considered the worst game to be released on the playstation one it was just it was just terrible it was just the worst thing you ever play oh, and no. i had that i finished that i loved it little edgy five-year-old nile was 
Give me, uh, give me one of those classic early two thousands English Saturday morning cartoon intros that were like way too edgy for their own good. And uh, yeah, I'd be on it. <laughs> you, Plain t-shirts, Lincoln Park playing straight in. Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, I haven't got any experience with. Um, it, I my I I know a lot about Digimon and and, um, and Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm. And um, they were my kind of. Uh, like go to anime type shows, Yu-Gi-Oh, so dramatic. I just, it's just so, it's so rewatchable now because it's hilarious. It's just, it's just like, <sighs> it's a, it's a, it's a card game, it's... and there, there's so much screaming, and then there's that, there's that scene where <laughs> Kaiba actually threatens to commit suicide if Yugi wins. And yes. Like, oh. <laughs> Because it's like, oh, the blast will hit me back. But it's like, but they're holograms. There's no physics involved. You're just threatening to kill yourself. And it's like, and oh, what else happens? Uh, Grandpa gets sent to the hospital because he loses a card game. So it's not even a shadow game. First episode. And he's just, oh, I need to go to the hospital because I've lost a children's card game. Just the classics. Absolute classics. And like, just... I'm pretty sure like Pet did, didn't Pegasus Ugh. like turn everyone who lost to him into into stone or something? Yeah, he he traps them in what's essentially the canonical shadow realm because four kids created the shadow realm in the original series as a way to circumvent the issue of death that existed within the original show. It's like they're not dead. Just in the shadow realm. This is all right for your five-year-old to watch. Was that, was that a, um, a censorship uh, thing yeah. for the West? Yeah, it was. That's the same reason why you will occasionally see people point fingers yeah, at each other yeah, yeah, because yeah. in the original show there's guns, but they're like, well, "How do we get rid of the guns?" It's like we'll just have them point their fingers at them, and it's the most bizarre thing you could ever watch. But you never realise it as a kid. So, in all fairness, they did their job and. Was it was four kids entertainment did the dubbing and they owned the license to it and they made they must have made millions off of that show and they didn't have to make any of the animations they just needed to rewrite a script and do a little bit of editing and sell it to us kids on a saturday morning just genius genius marketing play it really, that really yeah is, yeah <laughs> and then going for my final final childhood hit just pokemon emeralds just generation three I think 2005, because I think Ruby Sapphire was 2004, and then Emerald came out a year later. So it was either 2003, then on to 2004, 2004, then on to 2005. And something about Generation 3, man, just, I know there's always those jokes about like 7.8, too much water, and there's way too much water within that map. But there's just so many classic designs uh never got overused because you can say like Charizard's a classic design but we've got like a thousand different variants of Charizard in the last few games and it's like, like I just don't care anymore like it's only so many times you can feed me Charizard and I want to buy it Gen 3 uh, had Mudkip. some of the best designs honestly I, I, I do agree yeah Flygon is still probably my, my favourite mm. out of the entire roster just cool little one never got its mega revolution it hurts me to this day yeah uh, Agron and Laron that entire design like the big hulking metal boys so and, and the, the and train then, noise that it makes as well it, it, it kind of comes yeah. out and goes 
I mean, looking back at the the Team Magma and Team Aqua was just the silliest thing, where it's just like, we need more water. And it's like, but we don't want this much water. And like Magma, like, we want more land, but not this much land. And it's just, oh, that was... <laughs> I, I will I'll be very controversial. Um, actually, no. Ignoring... <laughs> actually, forget it. It's too late now. There's been too many generations. At one point, I would have said to you that Gen 3 was my least favourite gen. But then Gen 8 happened. And it's so, so bad. <laughs> it makes, like, forget about it. <laughs> I didn't enjoy Sun and Moon too much. No, I didn't either, really. No. I heard that X and Y was... I think the issue, I it could be getting worse. Or it could just be us growing a little bit more disillusioned with what's essentially the same product it's getting worse it's getting worse i mean i mean yeah in some ways i remember weirdly enough my nan had the pokemon stadium themed like n64 the like oh blue and yellow one the funky looking one and i had it was either stadium or coliseum whatever the n64 one was because they made multiple versions of that kind of game and the animations in that game are so much better than Pokemon Sword and Shield's animations. And oh, yeah, I've seen. This is a game that came out right in the early 2000s. And I don't blame Game Freak for it. I just think the Pokemon Company don't give them enough money to deal with what they have to do. Like, their budget isn't big enough for a product that sells that well. And, it's, it's, the, and that, that, that's another five-hour podcast talking about... Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is a frequent thing that uh, me and Jack talk about uh, on Sandbox, and uh, it's it's tiring. It's so frustrating, uh, but that's that. But I will say, yeah. Gen Gen Three is a good pick. That wasn't my childhood game. I actually started at Gen Four. Um, See, I I played way more of Gen Four. I had mm-hmm. Pokemon Diamond and put like 200 hours into it nice. which at the time is like you know now we're, we're in the age of like thousands of hours in yeah. csgo yeah. and dota 2 and stuff like that but for at the time like 200 hours was like whoa look how much time he's put into that game yeah and yeah i played that more but i feel like pokemon emerald wasn't even my first introduction i uh we had pokemon yellow on a game boy color when i was younger oh, wow, even cool. younger than that didn't have a clue what was going on. I think Pokemon Emerald was that kind of time where I was consciously aware of what I was trying to do. You know, mm-hmm. like I wasn't just mashing buttons and walking in a direction and hoping it all resolves itself. <laughs> so it was that first point of playing, probably my first time playing like a big RPG with any kind of sense of intentionality. Like this is what I want to do. This is what I want to achieve. That's this is cool. the problem in front of me and this is how I want to deal with it. So yeah, those are my childhood hits of just PlayStation 1 and Game Boy Advance games. Classics, classic consoles. I really, really enjoyed hearing you go through those. They all have such a great story behind them. I love it. <laughs> I just think the best thing still Advance Wars, looking back at it, just like that kind of gameplay experience that seemed to go away with just the pass and play. Just, I mean, it still exists but it just doesn't seem to be the cultural phenomenon no. that it ended up being with something like like Mario Kart DS. On, online no, play I, is just far more convenient now. Uh, it's not the same. 
if you have if you have usable internet, Jamie Wade, <laughs> if you have usable internet. Oh. Yes. Yeah, but in fairness, I mean, what oh, are you gonna oh. do right now? Are, are you gonna are you gonna pass? Who are you gonna pass and play to right now? I mean, so long as I I keep a disinfectant wipe to wipe down <laughs> the Game Boy Advance SP, and people are happy to catch at a two meter distance, you know, it can work. It can work. So now, thank you for that. Um, sorry, did you have anything else you want to say? No, I was actually going to say, but now I have also brought a curated collection of. Technically, my top six because my top my fifth is a joint place. Uh, All time hits. So uh, I'm just going to briefly explain how this is all going to work. So this next segment, we're going to talk about overall, you know, childhood to adulthood. You know, the whole the whole selection, top five games uh, of of Nile's life, and we are. We're, I'm going to attempt, we'll see how it goes, um, all the guests that we get onto uh, Hitbox, I'm going to attempt to do a weighted average of all their top five games. And given enough episodes and time, eventually a <laughs> some sort of uh, top, five, top ten even um, ranking of everyone's uh, games is going to appear. Um, but we'll see how that goes, because I fully suspect that everyone's going to have such a wide range of games that it's going to be like five games in each in each like joint temp with like five games in it uh but we'll see see who ends up in the hitbox hall of fame it's going to be minecraft it's going to be minecraft at number one i could just feel it it is almost certainly going to be minecraft at the top yes but it's not going to be because of me because spoiler alert for the listeners no minecraft in this distinct absence of minecraft in my top five that is i'm not yeah it's not in mine um oh i will i will add that um so me and jack have provided some uh, our top five to get the list going uh so it's not like Otherwise, uh, your your top five will will be the top five. My top, yeah, the only top five that matters. I am I got the top five, and I'm first and last on the Pokemon quiz at the same time. But this this podcast isn't about me and Jack, so I would like to hear your top five. I will need a ranking. It needs to be there needs to okay. be ranks here. Okay, okay. I, I will rank them. But just to put another spanner in the works, my fifth one is actually joint. I know. So my fifth place is joint. So I've actually got top six. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Don't worry. I'll allow it. I, I, I can pick between my, my joint top, my joint fifth place, but I feel like it's it's an interesting one to talk about because I want to take you back to the grand old days of the start of the recession of 2008. Oh, I wasn't expecting and... you to say that. <laughs> We're, we're taking us back to 2008, Ooh. and it was a time that was terrible, but we were probably too young to understand. But uh, And essentially what had happened is we had seen the release years earlier of Street Fighter 3 Third Strike, but then from Street Fighter 3 Third Strike, the fighting game genre just seemed to die. It just disappeared for quite a lot of the 2000s until one man who actually just left Capcom last month, called uh, 
Yoshinoo Oni or Yoshinoi Ono, one of the other, because I'm terrible at names. He comes back and he single-handedly saves the genre with a release of a nice little game called Street Fighter 4, an absolute banging 2D fighting game. And I, I'll continue to talk about that as well, but after the release of that, Capcom decided, well, we can just make more. We can bring more back. And from that point, they brought back Marvel versus Capcom 3, Fate of Two Worlds. And those are my, my joint because they're some of the best 2D fighting games that, that I have memories of. But they're two different 2D fighting games that play in such drastically different ways. Because you play Street Fighter 4 and it's all, it's not particularly combo heavy. Like you can if you put the time in. Marvel but it's versus all a Capcom. Footsies game. It's ridiculous. Like that whole well, game takes place <laughs> in the air. <laughs> yeah. Marvel vs. Capcom 3 is one of those games where you want to show off and just put a demolition job on someone where it's just full of colors and full of chaos. And I feel like sometimes the best fighting games are the games that are almost deliberately broken to the point where they can be broken to the point where you can just see some wild stuff that would never work in anything else. I feel like it's kind of the same watching like Super Smash Bros. Melee at a high level. Mm-hmm. But you look at it, it's like, this is something that I'm never ever going to be able to achieve. And just seeing it played at such a level is ridiculous. Yeah, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 for pure style. I mean, it has substance as well, but pure aesthetic style. And I think Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 still look like a better product than Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite on a purely visual level. Oh. I still think they look better. No, they do, for sure. Infinite is a and, complete misstep. And Marvel vs. Capcom has kind of died, but it's weird because it's still alive and... I hate that I have to say in function because there's all the functional uh, controversy about Infinite. It's like they they don't miss the characters, they miss their functions. But on a functional level, Marvel vs. Capcom survives in a, a great little 2D fighting game called Dragon Ball Fighter Z or Fighters, which is the same kind of 3v3 over the top crazy combo kind of game that I put some time into, but it wasn't. Never nearly as good at that as I was at Marvel Three. I and I, Street I, Fighter Four. So I was saying, I never played. Uh, I haven't played Dragon Ball Dragon Ball Fighters, um, but I played uh, Guilty Gear uh, XR Sign a lot, yeah. and that is just the best looking fighting game. Wow. Oh, on a visual just... level, those games are just obscene. Yeah. <sighs> And there's a, there's a really interesting like game developers conference talk with the guy who animates it, and it's like him going on for like 45 minutes about all the methods that they did, and it's it's an interesting watch if you're into that kind of stuff. Mm. But I think if I have to rank them, I would have to put Marvel vs. Capcom 3 into sixth place and Street Fighter 4 into fifth place because I got Street Fighter 4 the Easter of Year 8, and I had no understanding of how to play fighting games, mm. and I must have spent two weeks in the training mode and in because street Fighter Four had a great little combo system where you could start easy and it would put you into higher harder and harder combo challenges mm-hmm. and that's what brought me into fighting games that i play quite a lot now and it's also what got me into the the grappler boys you know why do a flashy combo if you can take half of somebody's health bar with one command grab you know zongief seahawk you know they're the boys of Street Fighter 4 and T-Hawk's yeah. Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition, I think. But 
absolute belters no, to for them. I think he's just Super Street Fighter, I think. It's like so many different versions. Oh, it's, know, like, it's not as bad as Street Fighter 2, but Street Fighter 4 still has too many versions. Yeah. But yeah, those are my fifth and sixth, the sixth place that nobody asked for. <laughs> and then, ooh, I am going to, see the next one, I'm, I'm trying to decide how to rank them, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go smaller in scale mm-hmm. and talk about a really refined game that, in, like encapsulates local multiplayer in a way that I think is better than anything else. And I think it's an easy route to say something like Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. I feel like the problem with Smash Bros and Mario Kart and some of those other games is although everyone complains about getting blue-shelled, the best player will always win. And, the, and it's the same in this mostly, but the comeback mechanics in this game particularly I think are done really, really well. And that's Towerful Ascension. Well, just powerful, but the PS4 release was Ascension. One of the few games I've bought across platforms. If it comes out on PS5, I'd buy that as well, straight away. Just I a phenomenal... adore Towerfall. What an amazing game. So, just the most tight mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. The most played game of the entirety of university that I spent was on that game. And it's one of those things where if you know you can consistently have, you know, four people around and everyone just grabs control and, you know, imagine having four people around to play a video game in today's times, but back in the good old days, having that many people around and just playing that game. And it was one of those games where because the controls were so simplistic, I had so much depth, you could introduce someone into Towerfall very, very quickly. And with the comeback mechanics, it never felt unfair. Like that person would get a shield, which seems like too much, but it was just enough to keep everybody in the game at all times. And if you really wanted to be hardcore, you could turn it all off, but just a phenomenal little game. And weirdly enough, the only thing to come out of what might be the worst console of all time. Yeah. Remember the, the Ouya. Yeah. Ouya for the uh, the listeners back home, the ill-fated Android console that was just a little bit naff, but literally just powerful, powerful came, came out of that, right? I don't think any other game oh, came out of that. It's just it's just a powerful machine. Yep. But what a game to be a machine for! I tell you what. Yeah. Fantastic little, yeah. fantastic little game. I bought it on the Switch as well, and the Switch put in like a six or eight player mode that just adds more carnage. Just. Like even the PVE that you could do co-op had a right kind of level of challenge, and all the ways you could unlock new characters. I I got that game originally for free on PlayStation Plus, Mm. and it's just, just yeah, completely blew me away. Like, oh, this this is actually incredible. What what? (laughs) I've never heard. I think if (laughs) if you were going to give me one game that I was going to play as local multiplayer. Like and I could only have that. I'd probably end up sticking with Towerfall. I know Smash can offer you a bit more variety, but I think Towerfall also the gameplay itself is very good. But it also I'm going to talk about this a little bit later with Halo. But it gave you the tools to create your own kind of custom games and really diversify the experience that you had. So you could end up playing ten hours of Towerfall, and every two hours could be a radically different experience, even though the mechanics are quite similar. So yeah, Tower 4 Ascension, absolute cracker of a game uh, by was it Matt Makes Games. Yep. And he also did Celeste after that as well, which is another little phenomenal game on the Switch. But 
it's too difficult for me to finish. Don't judge me. You didn't finish it. <laughs> I haven't finished Celeste. Oh, Celeste. It's one of those games that I, it is hard. I keep wanting to get back to it. I keep wanting to get. Into, I keep wanting to get back to it. I just haven't. The music haven't done it yet. Awesome. But the, the, just listen, I used to listen to the soundtrack when I was doing uh, um, my dissertation. And it's just like really nice vibes. It's really good. I mean, on one hand, you've got the Celeste soundtrack. On the other hand, you've got lo-fi hip-hop beats yep. to study you to relax to. The <laughs> classic, the classic channel. And moving on into third place, because I've, I've mentioned Halo, so we're going to jump to Halo. Mm-hmm. Halo Reach for the Xbox 360. So this Absolute is, cracker. This is an interesting one for me because um never owned an Xbox. And so... um I've never played. I've never played Halo. I've played it once or twice at a friend's house co-op, um, but that's never been a franchise I've had any sort of awareness about. Well, so, did, like, we're, <laughs> we're men in our twenties. How, how do we not have the Halo experience growing up? But uh, Halo Reach isn't objectively that much better of a game than Halo Three. I think Halo Reach built upon what a lot of Halo 3 did. Mm-hmm. Also added a couple of elements that people didn't like about rescue bloom. So firing at range, your rescue will get bigger and bigger. So a lot of the time it would give people better opportunities to escape firefights and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But the reason I put Reach higher is because Halo 3 came out when I was like 10 years old and I didn't have an Xbox at the time. Right. But Halo Reach came out 13, 13 and a half, the perfect age in the era of yeah. xbox live and being that yeah. snarky high-pitched kid on there you know that is all that shebang <laughs> yeah pretty much and one of those little monsters and um but halo reach has offers the same kind of thing that halo 3 did where the core shooting gameplay was fantastic in a way i think the core experience bottled down to its like purest form Maybe Call of Duty 4 was more entertaining on a moment-to-moment basis because that was the game that it was directly competing against. But the thing about Halo Reach is just the ways in which it could be played. So you could do the entire campaign fully cooperative and the campaign had all these different skull modifiers that would radically change the way the game was played. So you could do that all co-op, all solo, whatever difficulty you wanted. It was adaptable to what you wanted it to be. Then they had a PvE firefight mode, which was like, the dawn of you know that and gears of war had the horde mode and it just exploded this pve experience and then the multiplayer was just very very good at the same time but it also had custom games that allowed you to modify in really like high levels of detail the way in which you would want the game to be played and then on top of that you had forge world which allowed you to build all these new maps and maps were so good that oh, bungie cool. ended up putting a lot of them into rotation so the community would make maps and then those maps would do well. And all those maps that you created and add, add to that uh, another element because Halo Reach just keeps firing more stuff at you. A theatre mode that allowed you to whatever kind of camera angles and effects and filters you wanted or onto your gameplay clips and photos. And all of that could be shared for a file share system and on BungieNet. So anything you could create could just be shared with everyone. Mm-hmm. So the best maps, you could always find the best maps because you could always search for the most downloaded maps or the highest rated maps. So there was always an influx of user-created experiences that you could access mm-hmm. on Halo Reach. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where moment-to-moment Call of Duty 4 might have been more 
more addictive you know the grind to level up and prestige and go and go and go but halo reach just offered so many different ways in which you could play that game and i think just offering you that level of experiences means that i have to give it so much credit because it's a game that you could play for years and still have radically different experiences with yeah phenomenal little game halo reach and a little bit of somber storytelling as well because if you know the story of halo you know that everybody here ha- pretty much has to die and the last level is you just surviving as long as you can in a ho- like a horde situation until you know until you can't hold out anymore and then like you die your character just dies at the end of the game spoiler alert yeah. for people listening to a 10 year old game and yeah <laughs> and you just see your you see your helmet on the ground it's all shattered and this big uh, speech monologue over the top of it about how because of your sacrifice everything happened and you see reach regenerate back to this like living planet again because the sacrifices you made and phenomenal again great story great experiences great ways to create content and share the content and yeah phenomenal phenomenal game high high praise high praise i i rate hero reach so much and i think realistically all those all that praise could be put onto halo 3 mm-hmm. i think it's just the time in which i experienced it made halo reach a little bit more special for me mm-hmm. and then my second place is i think a game that this is purely my favorite games of all time but if you were to ask me what i think objectively the best game of all time is I'm going to throw in at my second place, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, yeah. a Nintendo Switch launch game and final game for the Wii U. Maybe final game, final big game for the Wii it's U. It's just like, you know, goes without saying. It, there's nothing... It's just... It's just. It takes the freedom... It's bizarre, isn't it? It takes the freedom mm. of um, the original NES Zelda... And even though it sounds ridiculous for a modern game, it it just it, you realise that true freedom doesn't exist in mm. most open world games. This game is true freedom. So cool. I think even on a minute level, I think even just experiencing the climbing system in Breath of the Wild, you go back and play anything else, and it's like, yeah, yeah, why yeah. is this? Why can't I? Like, I'm a six-foot-five super soldier. Why can't I climb over this little bit of rock that's stopping me? This shouldn't be a difficult task. And it's just... I think no game's perfect. I think there's always issues with mm-hmm. every game. I think Zelda has... Breath of the Wild has a couple of issues, I think. I think the frame rate could be a little bit steadier. Like, you go to the Cork Forest where the Master Sword is and the game just slows down and it's just it's it's puffing for air and would i like full-blown voice acting throughout the whole thing outside of cutscenes? probably but everything that it tries to do it executes so well i feel like sometimes you play a game and it you know very much from the start what it wants you to do and you're always nudged to perform mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the way that it wants you to you play breath of the wild and it just feels like an adventure in its purest sense. You could just... I've never played a game oh. that has nailed exploration better. Like, most games, there's a reason. I'm exploring 
because I want to get some shiny thing that they're dangling in front of me. Mm. But Breath of the Wild, you find yourself... I know you obviously you do get rewarded mm. for it, but I wasn't exploring for that. I was exploring because it's like, I really want to know what is at the top of that peak. Yeah. I, I want to know. And there's always something there. And I mean, this... And I think the way the game conditions you to understand its environments is... I, because I was thinking about it before, because Breath of the Wild is a weird game for me where I'll play it non-stop for three weeks and then not touch it for eight months and then go back to it. So I still actually have to finish uh, Trials of the Master Sword oh, yeah. and then finally go defeat Ganon. But I've spent about 85 hours in the game where I've just decided, like, once I've beaten Ganon, I'm done with it. So I'm leaving that to, like, the last, last, last thing. But this... The way where you can always tell where there's a cork seed before it gives it to you. If you look at it like that shouldn't be there. Like I understand the rules of play so well that I shouldn't be there. There's a cork seed underneath that. Yeah. And the ways in which you just experience new things which you didn't think were gonna happen. So the three dragons that are in the game, I forgot what oh, they're called, they've got weird names. So cool. And the first time you see them and you're just like, I had no clue in the slightest that these things exist and the music and see them stumbling along and the music yeah. plays with them as well it's just epic moment at truly truly like like actually using the word epic properly it you yeah everything stops whatever you were doing stops mm. and you look up and it's really huge oh, yeah it's so awesome and i think there's something more meaningful for the fact that you can't kill it that you're mm. going to just take a shard off of it because it just shows like that there's bigger things in play than you. You're just this little nightman. Yeah, exactly. And there's another few things that I got to experience without previous warning, like uh, a Ventide Island. Oh, so I saw cool. that on my hand of the map, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I can get to that. And I made a bunch of stamina potions because I just didn't have enough stamina vessels to be able to do it. And I just went there, got there, and it's like, you're losing all your stuff. Like, Fantastic. Yeah. And it's just phenomenal phenomenal I, I, experience i remember um go, going somewhere um it was one of the towns and there's a shrine that is just on a tiny tiny little island in the middle of the sea really really mm. far away from the coast and i remember glide trying to glide to it really early on mm. and being like and not being able to make it and having to, to mm. like, i couldn't do it right out of stamina and just the satisfaction of coming back to that i remembered that like i i'm getting yeah. you coming back later when you've got you've unlocked more stamina and getting to it it's just you know what you're getting it's a shrine but like yeah oh, it's just the way the way the way it does discovering and yeah cool just a cool and you have all the tools to deal with things even in ways that i don't think the game designers were expecting you to be able to do there's so many ways that i've somehow been able to jank my way through it through yeah certain conundrums but just because you, it gives you all the tools and it trusts that you know how to use them. Like even the simple things like, oh, I can't climb this thing that's rainy and this is frustrating. It's like, oh, no worries. I'll just create a fire, use the updraft and skip the entire need to climb all together because I know that that's the function and how that works. Or even weird things like uh, the, one of the lizard boomerangs that's metallic, you can throw it. And when it comes back to you, you can use the magnesis and you can grab it and it will just spin indefinitely. So you end up having like a lawnmower just in front of you that you could just walk into enemies with a spinning boomerang. It's like, I would have no clue this would work. And you can tell they've really thought about how they want to introduce those systems. Like 
you go up to the uh, the, the Goron village and they have those what feel like roller coasters yes. on like the little mine carts. Yeah. And the first time I got to that, I was like, this is just such a great little idea that they've done. And yeah, just phenomenal game. The combat feels way, like you feel rewarded for how you've progressed because it's like you naturally get stronger. And I think that's in some way that the game feels a little bit not as great as it could be because you, you get to a point where you're so strong that I th- the I only do thing think that really presents a risk the, the, like, the, it's the, just a line The initial challenge that you get from that game and it does start off uh, genuinely quite mm. hard like you die real, real yeah. quick and you know if you walk over too far to Hyrule Castle you know there's loads of, there's loads of guardians and they will kill you um, mm. and it's definitely the first half of the game that you play is the best because you are weak yeah. and you need to think more you do become too tanky later on yeah and I think that weakness is what encourages you to go in different avenues to mm. try to make things work like even if it's you know because everyone's seen that first experience on the plateau where you just knock over the rock and it like crushes a couple of like bokoblins or something and you're like it's that kind of mentality that you have to just use all the time so like get a tree trunk knock it down stasis it hit it enough times with whatever mm-hmm. terrible rusty weapon you have and just hope that this thing clears yeah. them all out in one go otherwise you just have to run and it's yeah, it's just a phenomenal little game, and hoping for that sequel information soon. It's, it's been too long, Nintendo. We want to Friday, could maybe be Friday. Friday, maybe. Hopefully, I have heard. Hopefully, hopefully. It's about Ooh. it's about bloody time. Um, come like, come on! They, they haven't talked about games for ages mm. now. There's they haven't got any games except for Pikmin mm. Three. Who, yeah. yeah, who cares? <laughs> And I think it's going to be one of those cases where Nintendo need to amp it up because they're not going to get as many third-party ports as people transition to get things onto PlayStation 5. You can't, you know, getting something like The Witcher 3 onto Switch was a marvel. Yeah. But getting something that's traditionally going to be on a like the new next-gen systems, trying to drag that all the way back to the Switch is just, you know, there's miracles and then there's just technological impossibilities. And I think that's the point where Nintendo really has to start churning out first pies with a greater degree of regularity. Otherwise, they're just, there's going to be need, very little reason to go back to it. They need to, obviously, they need their tentpoles. And they ha- honestly, there hasn't been, it's a bit, a bit concerning now. Like, they haven't had a tentpole game for a while now. Um, mm. And they, they, they need to, in between those put out more more smaller games like they, they need to get mm, smaller yeah. devs i mean honestly like they either contract it out which they've done they, there's like capcom mm. have made quite a few nintendo games they made a zelda game they made like oracle seasons yeah and ages i think yeah um do more stuff like that like outsource yeah. some more of their properties to fill in the gaps a bit more between tent poles and then i think it's they can make their games last longer than I think they realize. So like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is the highest selling mm-hmm. game on Switch with like millions and millions and millions and millions of units sold. And that's still selling week in, like, you know, every quarter they're, they're posting the sales numbers for it. Just add another batch of DLC to your existing titles. Find a way to re-monetize mm-hmm. the products that are already there. And I don't mean in like a, a battle pass in and sell FIFA packs equivalents into your I games, think, but 
I think Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is uh, that ship sailed. Um, I'm I'm not like I'm, I'm not buying it. I had it on Wii U, right? I'm not. Mm. I refuse to buy it again. I'm not buying it again. Um, yeah. I really. This is a great time to bring out a more experimental Mario Kart 9, something more like mm. the Double Dash again, and yeah. get in like the character specific items again. Um, mm. Just go a little bit more. A little bit more crazy uh, would be really nice. I mean, I think that's the best thing to do from a gamer experience perspective, mm-hmm. but just on a purely like cynical monetary perspective, you think that this game has the highest install base of pretty much anything oh, out there. They're not going to do it. You think, you think, you think they yeah. would just... Yeah. They're not going to so do it. So why don't they just monetize... The success of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And... I do, I do think it's too late for DLC for that game. I really do think that is. They could have done that, but I now it's just. There's bound to be another Mario Party. That's. I hope a, so. I hope a it's a good given. Game. I think. I I liked. I think the mini games were great in the last one. I just don't yeah. think it gave you enough ways to play around on the board. The board. I want were, the more shenanigans awesome. on the. Yeah, the boards, there was not enough options attached to them. But if they're not going to release DLC for that, then you have to think that well, they've got enough leftover minigames and ideas brewing that they're just going to make another one, I think. Because I, I miss... they, they churn those out with... Oh, sorry. They churn them out very quickly. So, you know, you'd expect them to have another one out for the next year to 18 months. Well, I miss like, the unique objectives of the different boards. Like, you'd have... Mm. It wasn't just get the most stars. It was... You, well, it was, but you need to... There were, like, mm. interesting objectives that you had to do in order to get the stars. Yeah. Way more interesting. Uh, mm. Give me your number one. But do you... I was going to say, do you want Do you want the final, yeah. the greatest hit, the creme de la I creme... Do. I really do. ...of Niall's introductory hitbox? We're going to go for the... Uh, quite literally the empire strikes back of sci-fi video gaming mass effect 2 just my favorite game of all time i think i've played through it eight or nine times each one with a like a duration of about 30 hours because i'll do all the side quests Mm -hmm. i think the same with zelda where some things aren't perfect with it anymore and i think the people's experiences with like i think one thing that's gone recently you see like the moral binary in games you know how yeah. you had fable 2 and fable 3 where it was like do the good thing do the evil thing that's completely like, gone isn't it same. yeah it's gone because i think people want the nuance of being like well this is good and bad there's other implications here you know they want complex and mm-hmm. characters with shades of gray as opposed to like an angel or just yes. the worst dude alive you know i love it. i love I that it's mass- always, it was always so funny there's like types of games yeah, like the two options are like do the right thing like the normal ordinary thing or like you know like yeah. do you help the lady cross the road or do you shoot her and her family like it was always or you just put or do you just push <laughs> her in front of a bus yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly or 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 in this or like back in the fable two days it's like are you nice to this town or do you sacrifice every single member of this town yeah 
Yeah. And then do you sacrifice your family at the end of the game to get this like legendary super weapon? I was like, Peter Molyneux, you are insane. Your game's always <laughs> overpromise and under deliver, but I got to Fable Two have its moments. But yeah, Mass Effect Two, I think from a character perspective, it was just better than anything I had experienced. Just the entire cast was just phenomenal. Yep. The story was great. I played Mass Effect Two before I played Mass Effect One, which was uh, you know weird, so, but it was that kind of time. So um, Mass Effect is interestingly uh, another gap in my knowledge. I never played um, any Mass Effect game. Uh, they look fantastic. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the most recent one isn't as isn't what people wanted no. it to be, but the original trilogy. Chef's kiss, phenomenal. But yeah, the characters were all interesting. They kind of reduced the RPG mechanics that were a bit more prevalent in the okay. first one. That I went back and played that. There's a lot more like character building and all this kind of stuff. Mass Effect Two was a bit more streamlined. But the individual, so you would have the whole game was structured around a few big central main story missions, uh, character recruitment missions, because I think they did a really good thing that makes Mass Effect 2 better than Mass Effect 3 and better than Mass Effect 1 because Mass Effect 1 it's like the world's going to end everything's over you know doom disaster massive grand scale and Mass Effect 3 was everything's going to end massive grand scale Mass Effect 2 was like this is a problem that's just affecting the humans you're the human representative go and do something about it but because it's smaller it's all about build your like Ocean's Eleven style team of crack operatives yeah. to go and do this mission that's like built, you know what you're doing from the start of the game in the same way that like Zelda like starts you off as like go kill Ganon it's the same thing in Mass Effect where it's like do the suicide mission but it doesn't give you the option to do it straight away you have to build everything up but you do your recruitment missions and it gets introduced to all these like interesting characters that have really in-depth backstories and all these different possibilities of how you interact with them and then you get a loyalty mission that gives you greater depth and it really just adds different elements different sides to them and as you build and the great thing about them is it gives you content it adds some depth to the characters but it kind of builds your attachment to the characters during that time because you've seen what they've gone through so the risk of having them die on you then becomes so much greater because yeah. you don't want these people to die and from the start oh, of mass effect 2 they amazing. told you well your save will go to mass effect 3 yeah so it's like if your favorite character is dead well, they're dead for the next one mm. unless you want to replay. So, but that kind of felt a little bit cheap to be like, oh, I'll just replay it. I'll make sure they're yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, you felt like this impetus to make sure that everyone's mm. good, but then people start fighting with each other. And the problem, another one of those problems where you're bound by that moral binary of mm -hmm. if you're a good enough character, you can solve this dilemma and nobody will die. Yeah. If you're Matt, if you if you've been picking based on the circumstances, sorry, a few of your characters are going to die, and there's nothing you can do about it. But so it's a phenomenal game. I that is a fantastic list of games, um, and you have described them and uh, your reasons why they exist on this list eloquently. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, I'm now going to. I'm going to put them on the list, okay? In fact, Ooh. so they're, um, I'm, um, they're on the oh. list. Um, Dynamic graphic just appears. <laughs> you wait. Um, yeah. So, um, as I said before, 
um, this list has it hasn't actually got Jack's games on there yet. They still need to be added. So at the moment, it's just my, mine and yours, um, which of course <laughs> means that... Breath of the Wild? Um, well, funny you say that. So I, I'm really... It's a bit unfair because um, your list is set in stone, whereas mm. mine, uh, I control the list. <laughs> um, and honestly, I, I thought I was happy with my list and then I just... It kind of changes in my head all, every time mm. I look at it. So this might be subject to change, which is mm. very unfair, but it's my podcast, it's my rules. Um, oh. So I'm, I need to assign the rankings real quick, and then we can have a look at... <laughs> I'm going to give... Uh... Marvel vs. Capcom 3 is on the list, but it's only honorary at the moment, um, because it will be the only game which is in sixth place. Uh, and it's not joint with anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> One honorary place to give it, though. What a game. <laughs> what a game. Um, oh. So this is, an, this is an eclectic list, and I, I really like it. Oh, uh, one sec. Have I messed this up? Let me see. I got... Uh, now, I remember I failed to mention with Marvel vs. Capcom 3 how just one character was the most broken character of all time and it was just hilarious playing every game with this one character where you played with phoenix and if you had five levels of meter when she died she resurrected as dark phoenix with the most ridiculous move set I, and I, you did that yeah. <sighs> i thought no, you meant, um, that phoenix and white x factor because phoenix no, white was no because she, she yeah, but she dies, and you hear this like audio cue. It's like the dark phoenix rises, and then before you know it, your entire That's screen is just filled with projectiles everywhere you go. Brilliant game. I loved. I loved using all of their ultimates all in one go as well. It's just so so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> all of these voices, and they were, and they were so stylish <laughs> as well Canada. for that time as well. Because I think Street Fighter Four did very good ultra combos. Like there's mm. some, a few of them that I can remember quite well. Like Abel's one where he hits them a couple of times, like swings them up into the air and jumps, and like the camera's like dynamic and it moves. Okay, but Marvel vs. Capcom Three ones were ridiculous. So the list, I'm not happy with my number one. I have to say, uh, it definitely needs to be somewhere, but what? controversial maybe. Um, so at the moment. Number one on the hitbox list is joint between Mass Effect 2 and Pokemon Heart Gold Soul Silver. Um, Ooh. I I went with my heart on that one. I have I just What your heart gold? My heart my I actually had heart gold as well. Um It I think I think it was the Pokewalker which uh which uh, <laughs> gave gave some, I had some, honestly I, I had the so much I had so much fun with the Pokewalker. Anyway, uh also a really good pedometer as well which is really funny um mm. second place uh is joint between zelda breath of the wild and persona 4 um Ooh. third on the list is joint between halo reach and super smash brothers ultimate uh honestly i feel like again this this is a bit of a controversial one for me because technically i have more memories with brawl honestly um, but mm. like Ultimate is just such an insanely crazy roster and it's hard not to have mm. that on there um, number four 
is a joint between Towerfall uh, and uh, Civilization V. And Ooh, um, the back. fifth place is a joint between Street Fighter Four and Undertale. With uh, and then in sixth place with zero points is Marvel vs. Capcom Three. <laughs> Marvel vs. Capcom Three banger of the game. So there we have it. Those two games saved the fighting game genre. I always have to pay respects to them. So um, yeah, that sounds like a good list. It's, it's it's eclectic. Um, it it is a mix. So it's it's interesting about uh, my decision to put Civ on there because I feel like Civ. It's not like any other game. It's kind of it's like chess. It's kind of weird mm. to put it alongside, you know, bloody Persona. It's very different. But yeah. anyway, so. This is. See, I would have bought Civ, but because they were they had the Switch version, I thought that would be really good to have in the university house where we could play on the Switch. Mm. But then they had no multiplayer on it, so I was like, "Didn't know I was that." Like, what? It was Civ Five and Civ Six like, are my joint most played games uh, of all time. So, um, see. My most played game of all time is a game I actually despise, which is a funny, funny little uh, contrast. Defense of the Ancients Two. Interesting. I played a lot of Zota Two in my time, but a game where it's it's just it's just not fun. It's just hyper yeah, competitive yeah, yeah. Yeah, to the extent where it's just no longer enjoyable. Right, <laughs> we are going to have to wrap up this podcast now. Um, yeah, we're no going worries. to finish the podcast um, with um, another. We'll call it a game. Uh, this one, this one is, um, it's going to accumulate across episodes. I would like to create. Uh, I say I, the the gamer gods have they they talked to me. They came they came down from from uh, actually they actually came up from hell. The gamer gods they 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 live with the rock gods, and um, they wanted me to create the perfect game. And I thought the best way of doing that is by asking um, a range of uh, guest panellists uh, to do so. Um, so this this perfect game, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'm going to be asking each um, guest to add an element to the perfect game. Um, and then we're going to have some sort of amalgamation uh, forming. I don't know how we're going to do things like genre right but mm. i feel like i feel like it should be a first come first serve type thing so you can either go for something really really specific or you can just go right out there with setting or genre or anything you want anything give me an, see, an element see, to add to this see i don't want to shut down people's creativity because <laughs> you could just you could be silly with it you could be like it's a collectible trading card game, but I'm not going to do that because I want to. I, I want to be kind to oh, the next imagine? person that follows me along. Can you imagine? Just like, oh, we want to do this, but it's actually a collectible trading card game. You don't have uh, to choose genre. You can do. You can do something less important if you want. It's all good. Well, the problem is, if I try to go with an approach that will please everyone, it will just end up like Anthem. Just tries to do everything uh, at once and does none of it well. Yep. 
and that's not the best game. No, nobody wants Anthem. I'm sorry, Anthem. I love you, Bioware, but, but no, stop trying to make Anthem happen. Uh, let's let's make the genre about uh, vehicle driving and construction, Banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts style. Let's, let's make some wacky vehicles. Everyone likes Banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts, the best game in the Banjo Kazooie franchise. I love it how yeah, death threats out of nowhere. You 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 made a joke about saying collectible car game. I would, and that is more restrictive. But I would argue mm-hmm. vehicle driving construction is also fairly niche. <laughs> but I love it. That's that's yeah, locked but, in. But, but you could go many different ways with vehicles. You know, post-apocalyptic. <laughs> this is the perfect game of all time. This is the game of gods. We are making the perfect game. So it is official. Despite Niall's list which contains no vehicle driving and construction games. That is the ideal form of a video game. I'm sorry, but if you write down Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, that's like sacrilege, because it's just, it's a beyond that. It just exists, like it's transcended any kind of list. Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, you know, those perfectly squared Banjo and Kazooie faces. You know, everyone loves that game. So... Thank you very much for joining me today to talk Thank about Thank you very games. much for happening. For having me. But for happening. Thank you, Jamie, for happening. Oh. That's very Thank kind. Thank you very much for having me. Um, oh. This was episode one of Hitbox. Um, please, uh, if you do enjoy this uh, video, um, please get your friends and family to subscribe. Um and uh, check out um, and anything else on our channel. You're welcome. I give you permission to like all of the videos on the channel. Um, please, by all means. Um, I won't be offended. Have a lovely day and goodbye.